we really want people to be able to make informed decisions, apples to apples comparisons between the offerings of different internet service providers. Welcome to another episode of the Community Broadband Bits Podcast. I'm Christopher Mitchell at the Institute for Local Self-Reliance. Today, I'm speaking with Sasha Meinrath, the director of X-Labs and the Palmer Chair in, communi- in, in Telecommunications, not just communications, but telecommunications uh, at Penn State. Sasha, it's been too long. You've been on uh, a few times before. It's great to, to talk to you. It is awesome to be here again, and I can't wait for what crazy shenanigans we're going to get up to. Yes. And let me just say first that um, you did not hear an introduction to this podcast, uh, Noble Listener, uh, because I think we're going to streamline things. And uh, for future episodes of Community Broadband Bits, take a few um, the process pieces out and just make it a little easier to manage. So you'll probably just hear me launching in and you won't have a short summary of what you're about to hear. It's going to be, it's going to be a surprise to you. Um, we take listener feedback seriously though. If, if it's important to you that, that we have someone introduce the show and, and preview it, then we will bring that back. Uh, and as proof, uh, that we take listener feedback seriously. I have jumped into a lake several times this year. So um, we, we, re- we read your notes and, um, and we listen to them. But Sasha and I are going to talk about some current events, some of the things that are happening nationally around broadband. And the first is, you know, I, I feel bad. When I invited you to talk about this, I felt like we should invite John, um, John um, from uh, Consumer Reports, because like we're going to talk about this awesome thing that he's doing that we helped with. <laughs> like, let's just, so let's just take all the credit. Um, Consumer Reports and a bunch of other allied organizations are collecting bills. What, what's going on, Sasha? Yeah, so, you know, Jonathan Schwantes uh, has been sort of leading the charge over at Consumer Reports, and I've been sort of more of an instigator helping get this off the ground and will be sort of diving into data in the next six months. Now, data over what? Well, what we've done, which has never been done before, is crowdsource the collection of information about what people are actually paying directly from the bills of internet service providers. So we get away from, you know, the the he said, she said, what the costs are. We're saying like, look, we're just gonna take the numbers that people are actually paying every month Mm -hmm. and find out in essence, not only what are people paying, but where are their differentials between what people are paying And because we are doing things like also running a broadband speed test and collecting demographic information, we'll be able to look at not only what are people paying, but are people getting what they have paid for? I.e. if they're in a specific service tier, are they getting that service tier? And are there differentials in essence between the differentials? Which is to say, are certain people getting closer to what they're paying for than others? And if so, who are those lucky ISP uh, customers? And, and I think this really represents the first time that we're able to shine some sunlight onto what is a nefariously opaque realm, which is to say, we're buying services, but we don't really know what those services are. What's an up to speed, right? Like, who right. knows? Right. Like, yes. Uh, 
and we're paying money, but nobody knows. It's it's like nobody wants to talk about what other people are paying for exactly the same service. Well, this is where I wanted to say you are um, a bit of a of a fangirl of stats of statistics. Heck yeah. What do you think the distribution is going to look like? Um, as if you if you basically say like you know for the the people who are getting a hundred megabits or so. Um, what do you think the distribution is going to look like in terms of how much people are paying for that? So I think we're going to see some pretty widespread distributions. And I say that because we've already collected a bunch of information at the state level for the state of Pennsylvania. Uh, the legislature here two years ago hired me and my team to look into broadband pricing in Pennsylvania. We found widespread discrepancies in what people were paying for the same service across the state. And this, this won't shock anyone. And it won't shock anyone to see that, you know, these differentials really align with sort of the rural urban divide, which is basically, if you're not in a city, you're paying more mm -hmm. than your city compatriots. What is kind of shocking is the levels at which those differentials exist, which is to say, imagine any other commodity that we're told costs more to transport long distances, like gasoline, right? It's like, right. It, takes, it takes a lot more money to transport gasoline than bits, frankly. But if we had the kind of markups and differentials between gas, it would be like you paying $3 a gallon and me paying $30 a gallon. And people would say, "What? Well, hold on a second. Yeah. Well, actually, I think you're understating it. I think it might actually be like some people paying 30 and some people paying 300 or $10,000 a gallon from what yeah, we're so seeing. When we, when we looked at wholesale broadband pricing. Uh, what we found is markups as high as 10,000%. So, yeah, at that point, you're talking about some people paying $300 a gallon for $3 gasoline. Uh, that's actually quite absurd. Anecdotally, what we've learned is, you know, because poor and more rural areas tend to have less updated infrastructure, because race and class and internet connectivity or lack thereof all correlate, we think there's a de facto redlining that's possible here as well, which is to say, if you're not upgrading an area to a fiber infrastructure, for example, the differential between what you're paying for and actually receiving is probably greater. And because this class and race correlates so highly in the, this country, what you're likely to find is that for the same service level, because of a variety of reasons, not the least of which is de facto redlining, we expect that these differentials will be far greater for certain constituencies and that that will correlate or may correlate. I don't want to get ahead of the data here with things like race, class, rural status, et cetera. And that I think has profound implications, not just for digital equity, but also for policymaking, regulatory authority, consumer protection law, a variety of right. different areas. I think my prediction is that we will see that more among the telephone companies historically and not as much on the cable companies because of the nature of upgrading cable plant. I think we'll see some differentials and there are places like in Seattle and Baltimore and then a few other places where there might be some homes here or there, but like 
I mean, we're talking like in excess of 75% of Americans have access to cable. Most of those cable networks have been upgraded uh, roughly at the same time to offer um, among the highest quality services that most people can get. And so I'm expecting in cable to see more of an interesting issues around price. And I'm expecting to see more differences in service among the telephone um, companies, particularly the larger ones. That's right. Well, but cable is also really odd because it's been so deregulated that the pricing is just all over the place. Like Mm -hmm. Comcast just raised my price for the eighth time in three years. Wow. Uh, That's 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 more than I've heard. (laughs) And I'm like, I I don't know. And they've raised it only by like a dollar and something. Right. And I'm like, what? what, You know, why did it go from seventy nine ninety five to eighty eighty five? Like, I don't know. Like, you know, like but but these kinds of little dinks to the price may or may not be differentially applied. What I do know, what you know, what your savvy listeners know, is that if I call up Comcast and say, why did you raise my, I don't want, I want to leave Comcast now because of this extra dollar price, they'll be like, oh, well, we'll knock $30 off your price. If there's a competitor in the area. But it's a little tango that we have to do then every year where I'm like, no, 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 like I want the better rate. And they magically just give it to you. My expectation is that these mechanisms whereby they're constantly trying to raise the price and certain constituencies are constantly beating down the price that may not be uh, evenly applied. Yeah, no, I think, yeah. And I think, but I think it'll have more to do with a competitive footprint than um, any kind of, of income. Uh, But we'll see. I mean, this is, this is the beauty of what consumer reports is doing. It's savvy to hacking these kinds of systems. Sure. It's a sense of entitlement. Like, well, I don't want to pay this money. Like, you know, <laughs> being a grumpy bastard that like calls up the ISP. Like, I guess we good don't point. know. Yeah, right. But, but these are kind of the tensions that we're hypothesizing may impact pricing. And the fact that this is not ludicrous hypotheses that these differentials right. exist. And yet officially... The Federal Communications Commission at all refused to even collect information, even though they're under statutory mandate to ensure the fair and, and equitable rollout of this, that affordable broadband is being uh, deployed in a timely manner. They issue every year a Section 706 report, this big report that says like, yes or no, is it? But the fact that they're not collecting the data to actually make an empirical analysis. Well, Sasha, it's crazy. This is one of the things we wanted to talk about because I think a lot of people are under the impression that the FCC is about to collect that in part because the Congress has told the FCC that it is about to do that. Um, We have an FCC that's 2-2 right now. We have not we don't have any idea who the fifth commissioner will be that will enable it to actually move forward on anything that does not upset the telephone and cable companies, because in a two, two commission, what happens is they only do things that are non-controversial. Um, so right now, my understanding is, is that like, if, um, as we're speaking and, and not even as the show is recording, I mean, as the show is recording, not even as it's being played back, if there was a nominee announced, it would be October maybe November and possibly December until that person started their job. Yeah. And the wheels of confirmation are getting slower and slower for, especially for democratic administrations in ways that are creating substantial consumer harm. Or subscriber harm. Um, Subscriber harm. 
<laughs> I wanted I wanted to say before we move on too far away from the consumer reports data collection, it is broadbandtogether.org. And uh there's every every um there's only one page on I on uh, muninetworks.org where you don't get a notification that you should go do that right now. Um so if you go at all to muninetworks.org, except for the front page where it just didn't work to throw it in, there uh, uh, above the title of every single piece of content, there is a, a little blurb to push people to broadbandtogether.org. So head over there, upload your bill, do take seven minutes, do the survey, get all that stuff done. Uh but let's go back to the FCC. So um one of the things that the Biden administration has done via executive order is to say, hey, FCC, whenever you have those three votes, um, we want you to do the broadband consumer label. Uh, and you and I, I think last time you were on, we talked about this. And uh, I think that's good, right? I mean, that, that it provides the agenda, right? I mean, the FCC is independent. They don't have to follow it. But like, probably it's going to be a high priority now. Yes. And, and- You know, my group was the one in 2009 that first proposed the broadband nutrition label and gave them. I was so young then. A template. I know we were, (laughs) we weren't so grizzled and angry back then, but uh, you know, so for me, this is year 12 of fighting these battles to say, Hey, we really want people to be able to make informed decisions, apples to apples comparisons between the offerings of different internet service providers. Now, of course, that assumes you've got options, which is uh, sure. itself yeah. a whole issue. But well, let's, know, let's be clear: like this is this is a crazy idea proposed by Marxists like Adam Smith, who exactly. thought that for markets to work, you should know how much something costs. That's be- right. In part, it's not just it's not just about like the person buying it; it's also about other businesses, because so they can figure out where to invest. Because if if a business doesn't know how much Comcast is charging you, then they don't know if it makes sense to go after you as a customer. So like this is transparency just to make markets work in a way that capitalists want it to happen. That, that's right. In fact, there's a fundamental assumption built into kind of supply demand curves that there's perfect information amongst the players within a market, which is to say, you know, people know how much demand there is and people know how much supply there is and there's transparency around pricing and therefore supply and demand curves even out at the optimal, you know, level. Well, once you remove perfect information, once you create imperfect information, you can manipulate supply and demand curves to, in essence, engage in price gouging. And lo and behold, in a realm like internet service provision, where they've, in essence, completely removed information around pricing speeds, all the key elements you would need to make an informed decision, that at least correlates very highly with the fact that the United States pays amongst the highest prices amongst highly industrialized countries for broadband service. Yeah, but we got caps and a lot of other places (laughs) don't have those caps and we have great caps. Our caps are the best. (laughs) I mean, it, it, it is lunacy because this should be an area where progressives and free marketeers vociferously agree because providing necessary information for informed decision-making is a common cause amongst these different constituencies. Yeah, big time. And it's also more or less the law. I mean, like we have trans, that's like the one thing that survived the, the um, Chairman Pai uh, removing a lot of the net neutrality Title II stuff was that he preserved the transparency requirement. And, and yet when we're doing research, we can hardly often find what the upload speeds are. Um, although I think that's mandated to be transparent. 
Yeah, and, and it's, you know, mandates without teeth are just completely impotent, and we are full of those. And likewise, you know, I, I have actually read the executive order, and, you know, what I find in there are the areas that are mandated. The, the White House is going to mandate a rulemaking on hearing aids being over the counter. And I'm like, that's freaking fantastic. I'm really glad to see that. There's no reason why you should need a prescription for a hearing aid. <laughs> and that is very different than a lot of what we see for exactly what you had pointed out, which is that the Federal Communications Commission, the Federal Trade Commission are these things called independent agencies, which means they don't fall under the direct purview of the White House. So when you read the executive order, what you see is that they use these words like we encourage Mm -hmm. the FCC to do X, Y, and Z. We encourage the Federal Trade Commission to do X, Y, and Z. But even in the places where they have purview, the White House really didn't come hard on a lot of these issues, didn't mandate, right? So you see in the in this executive order, the word shall, which usually is a mandate, you shall do this, you shall not pass, right? Like, and, and but when you read the phrasing in the executive order, it's like, you shall consider doing x y and z and it's like well hold on what does that mean it's like i'm mandating you to think about doing something about this problem that isn't going to get it done and what that then points to is the need for really good personnel in key positions Mm -hmm. to move this forward and as you mentioned we don't know who the swing vote on the fcc is going to be at all the Federal Trade Commission, the other big group around this issue. Which now has Lena Khan at the helm, which is super exciting. Yeah. So, you know, right now it is a five-person FTC, which means it can make decisions, three Democrats, two Republicans. But one of those key votes, Commissioner Chopra, has already been nominated to head the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, CFPB. And as such, will be leaving... I am praying that he does not leave until his successor is actually confirmed. But what this really points to is whoever that fifth vote is, is going to be absolutely crucial because you could end up with somebody that's going to address these issues and vote with Lena Khan and company and pass a bunch of really vital and absolutely overdue consumer protections. Or you could end up with somebody that's going to vote you know, with the Republicans and stymie any meaningful reforms in that entire agency. Well, thus far, what the Biden administration has done is not nominate that fifth vote in either the FCC or the FTC. And here we are, we are six months into an administration. The two key, number one and number two, I'm not sure which one's more important, agencies who intersect with this issue of broadband service provision are both understaffed in vital ways. That is, that is shameful. Well, but we also um, have no one at NTIA, which is the executive agency, (laughs) the, the, um, you know, the, the, um, um, what's the word for it? Is is it an agency? I'm trying to remember like the. um, NTIA is under commerce and commerce is under the executive branch. Right. Is it a, it's a, What's the name for it? This is so if you it's don't an sleep administration. 
okay, people will know that I just haven't been sleeping. And um, <laughs> even though I can function for 10 or 15 minutes without with, like, at a time, then I, I have these hiccups. Um, but NTIA needs an administrator and they, um, and they play important roles in broadband. They may play super important roles. I mean, they may soon be distributing more money for broadband than, has, than almost has been collectively spent um, to date. Uh, and and the, is, the funding is all over the place. The USDA has a bunch of funding. Right. But I'm saying Congress, it's it, what rumors that I'm hearing. Congress is considering which agency will distribute on the order of $40 billion. Correct. And um, yeah, that's uh, it's a challenge. Like <laughs> It is. Yeah. And, and what we see, right, are all these agencies with different pieces of the pie and no comprehensive strategy across the government to act yeah. effectively deploy in the most efficacious manner all I'm a- of these different programs. <laughs> I'm opposed to comprehensive strategies. I, I'm just like I'm just I'm 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 half serious. Like I sometimes I think it's just better to like do a lot of different things. I mean I'm from a place called the Institute for Local Self Reliance. When people say a patchwork, I'm like yes, that's right, a patchwork. It sounds great. Like yeah. patches are great. But that's not what we do, right? All these different agencies hone in on the same solution, right? Your your yeah. existence as like the go-to resource for municipal broadband documents that the government keeps doing the same tactic. Right. Well, I think they did screw up uh, the reverse auction in ways that are different from how they screwed up the Connect America Fund. So uh, we're seeing innovation in errors and (laughs) and bad decisions. (laughs) Um, It it is remarkable how incredibly creatively the government manages to fail and manages to consistently refuse to address successes. Right. They're like, we really want to do X. And you're like, hey, there's all these success stories doing X. And they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. we want to do it. Not those ways. <laughs> well, let me let me let me just say that, like, one of the things that I sometimes hear from folks is that they get discouraged because, like, there's really good people, um, you know, staffers. There's people yes. working within the FCC who are trying to get this stuff right. And we're not sitting here just trying to, like, lob bombs no. um, like this is a these are critiques. And there are very good people who are learning lessons. And I think we'll be steering the ship in a better direction in the near future. So I want to acknowledge that. Yes. And, and uh, you know, I wouldn't be doing this work year in and year out. Amen. I wasn't an optimist about. Right. We're going to get it right. To eventually win these battles. Right. On the other hand, it always pains me when I see billions of dollars flushed down the toilet into really not very innovative programs and not very effective tactics, many of which are making the problems harder to address, like, for example, Connect America Fund and and pretending like satellite connectivity is functionally equivalent to a wireline connection, and then therefore making areas that have been covered with satellite ineligible for funding to bridge the digital divide. That, That is bad policy that exacerbates problems. And with sort of an unnecessary fumble. Right. And I worry that we're going to see a lot more of this. But what, what I mean by a comprehensive plan is not like one solution or silver bullet to fix all this. What I'm talking about is there needs to be a national broadband map where I can click on any house and know how we're going to get connectivity to that, whether it's Comcast and AT&T, a municipal network, you know, a satellite uplink. I, I need to be at a C at a national scale how we're solving the problem for everyone. And um, because this is one of the issues that the FCC is working on, and we talked about this with John Chambers, having that data be open 
and open yes. for critique. And so it's not a matter of being like black box, like we're going to, you can't know how much it's going to cost or what the modeling is, but actually having that be um, all open for critique and, and uh, publication. That's right. Yeah. I mean, the, the radical position that I hold when it comes to a lot of this is use science, right? So I, I meet with White House officials, I brief them and they're like, so what's your solution? And I'm like, uh, use the scientific method. Right. Have scientists provide your research and analysis on this issue. Turn it over to network researchers to identify what the state of the network is. Talk to the people that built the Internet about limitations, shortcomings, mm -hmm. problems that have arisen with the Internet. Right. Like, I mean, the notion that science has become and being pro science has become the radical position just shows you how really this whole realm has been regulatorily captured. In ways where, you know, I'll talk to the FCC and be like, hey, let's use, you know, the best practices from the network research community for a national broadband map. And they're like, well, we could do that. Or we could go with this completely unproven proprietary solution that nobody can peer review. Right. But here's the thing, right? 10,000 times more. But it's provided by a company that can navigate the procurement pro process. Right. I mean, like this goes back to I, I remember working for a, a state agency and um, suggesting that they were using a stats package that was not only inferior to uh, one that you could use a Perl script. That was just a Perl script that AW stats at the time um, yep. that could run. And and they looked at me blankly and, and this is a good person, but they were just like, look, like we point and click you know, we're not hiring people that do that stuff. Like, you know, we need some, we need a vendor that is there. And this is something that Travis Carter says on, I think he said it on the connect this show, um, connect this um, great show. Y'all should watch it. And, uh, and he, he talks about how he's talked to cities where he's building fiber networks. And he's like, you know, you all should just run your own fiber network to connect your buildings. You'd save a lot of money to have higher performance. And they're like, but who would we call if it broke? And he's like, you would know how to fix it. Like you would have an employee that would be understanding that. Not only that, like these things don't just break. Like it's not like the transmission on like a 96 or I guess an 86 Plymouth Voyager van, which my family uh, had for like 20 years and went through three transmissions. Like <laughs> this is, this is, um, you know, like a, a system in which often like you get warnings ahead of time. Like there's planning, like it's not, it's just not that hard. I mean, you and I run our own networks in our homes and this is more complicated, but it is not, um, you know, building a satellite in low earth orbit complicated and local governments can handle it. That's right. And, and in fact, you know, this is an area where having built community networks for over 20 years now, I can tell you, like, there's a whole mythos being propagated by the ISPs that this is really complicated and you got to leave it to the experts and blah, blah. And, and the reality is, as difficult as things were 20 years ago, they are infinitely easier today. Right. And it's really easy to build this infrastructure. Like yeah, you can yeah. train people in a matter of days to weeks to deploy wide area and at least small metro scale networks. And it's, it's not rocket science. 4,000 cities built their own electric goods, maybe 4,500. And I'll, I'll often remind people, because I think there's this sense like, oh, electricity is easy. And uh, you mess up with electricity, it kills you. It kills other people. Like, it's serious. Like, this is, this is broadband, and it's serious. But it's not like you touch the wrong thing and you die serious. So, like, that's nice. <laughs> well, and in terms of complexity, building a network is easy. Raising kids is difficult. But, you know... <laughs> 
building a network Amen. is something that anyone can learn pretty quickly. And, and as you mentioned, like, yeah, we build systems in our homes today that are more complicated than most office systems of a generation ago. And we don't think anything of it. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and so encouraging people to become informed and especially doing the econometric analysis to show to a community like, look, if you spend the time and energy becoming savvy, getting the skills, training your staff, bringing that all in-house, you know, your burn rate over the next decade or two decades is so much lower than right. being beholden to an outside provider. Your service levels are better. Your operating expenses are lower. Your residents, consumers, subscribers, whatever you wish to call them, are just happier. They get a better service for a cheaper price. And the fact that we look at this, we can agree on these numbers and yet simply refuse to acknowledge that reality is a remarkable, psychotic kind of phenomenon. <laughs> well, I want to, I want to know, I mean, I think the part that I would say is, is more or less approaching trivial is building an enterprise network for local government to connect 20 to 200 sites. Um, I will say, if you're going to build out to the city, take it seriously, do your homework, hire the right people. Like in no way do I ever, and I don't, you're not, you don't either. Um, but we just want to be very clear, like this is doable, but you need people who take it seriously. And one of the things that I find frustrating is a lack of people in the United States of America that take their work seriously, uh, which is what every generation says about the the people that come after them. <laughs> you're, you're turning into an old grandpa. Here. You can tell it. I got the white beard. I'm working on it. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, but, but it is true. And, and one of the great conundrums that's going to now face this country as we drop tens of billions of dollars in this space is a whole bunch of wholly unqualified yeah. snake oil salesmen consultancies are going to pop out of the woodwork selling every which solution you can possibly imagine. And it's going to cause a lot of communities that don't themselves do their own due diligence and homework to have a whole world of pain. And I say this because we saw this previously in the Muni wireless realm. We've seen it with, remember WiMAX? Oh, yeah. yeah. And and we're going to see it with 5G as well, Mm -hmm. which is that this thing is being sold as a solution to any problem you can possibly imagine. I'm like, but it's actually inferior. (laughs) to older school networks for a variety of use cases. And that's due to propagation characteristics of frequencies. It's like, so people are like, no, no, no it's not. But I'm like, no, 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 physics, man. Right. <laughs> right? Yeah. Like yeah. your frequency is higher. It's not going to go through as much foliage than a two or a 3G network. And no amount of PR is going to change the <laughs> fundamentals of universal physics. Right. You can raise the volume. You can't raise the power beyond that's a certain right. point. <laughs> So, I mean, there's a lot of this stuff that's going to happen very quickly. And so it's even more important for people to do their own due diligence, find folks that are trusted, that know their stuff, because when there's money, there's sharks in the water. And this is like a chum fest for, you know, I would say relatively unethical individuals to try to get a bite at this massive subsidy we're gonna have to wrap it up i gotta go work on my snake breeding program i'm gonna be the like the levi's guy for the snake oil salesman so maybe i don't understand that analogy perfectly (laughs) it's great to see you sasha absolutely my pleasure we have transcripts for this and other podcasts available at muninetworks.org 
slash broadbandbits. Email us at podcast at muninetworks.org with your ideas for the show. Follow Chris on Twitter. His handle's at communitynets. Follow muninetworks.org stories on Twitter. The handle's at muninetworks. Subscribe to this and other podcasts from ILSR, including Building Local Power, Local Energy Rules, and the Composting for Community podcast. You can access them anywhere you get your podcasts. You can catch the latest important research from all of our initiatives if you subscribe to our monthly newsletter at ilsr.org. While you're there, please take a moment to donate. Your support in any amount keeps us going. Thank you to Arnie Hughesby for the song Warm Duck Shuffle, licensed through Creative Commons. This was the Community Broadband Bits podcast. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.